So, um, as Matt said a few minutes ago, all year long we've been doing something called the whole story. We are going through the entire story of scripture. We've broken the story of the Bible down into 14 different chapters. Last Sunday, we finally finished our very last message in the very final series of the Old Testament. And so today, that means we get to turn to the New Testament. And that's super exciting if you're a Jesus follower because that is when Jesus, the Jesus that we often think of, right? Like Jesus as a person on this earth, walking around, talking, doing things, miracles, all that, we get there today. And so we're, we're calling this series, The New Human. The series is called The New Human. We began this entire journey with a series called The Human Project. In Genesis chapter one, God said, let us make man and woman in our image to be like us. God created all of us to reflect him, to be like him, and then he gave us authority. He said, I'm gonna put you in charge of the earth. Use the authority and the wisdom and the knowledge that I've given you. I've made you in my image to be like me. Use that and, and run things in a way like I would run things. And we just didn't. And up to this point, as we've been reading through all these stories, this human project does not seem to be going very well. People don't seem to reflect God very much. That wisdom, that doesn't seem to be on display. A lot of boneheaded, stupid decisions, yes, but not that much wisdom. Every once in a while, there's like a glimmer of hope. There's someone where you see them and you're like, yeah, this one, they've got it figured out. Like King David's one of those guys. Like he's, he's headed in a good direction. You're like, yeah, this guy, I like this guy. And then, oh no, like absolute failure. And so it's pretty much this constant cycle of God doing amazing things and then people doing everything they can do to undo what God has done. And everything has just spiraled and spiraled. The nation of Israel, gone conquered, and here we are. The story so far has, has been a tragedy in many ways. But then you, you turn to the book of Matthew, the New Testament, and a new human steps into the story. And he is, in a word, different. Let me give you a few examples. Matthew chapter seven, verses 28 and 29. When Jesus had finished saying those things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Jesus spoke different, talked different. When Jesus spoke, people listened and they were amazed. He was completely different than the people that they had grown up listening to. He spoke with a kind of authority that it just seemed New. One of my favorite stories, John chapter seven, um, Jesus is teaching in the temple and he wasn't really welcome there because the religious leaders hated him. And so they sent their guards, they had temple guards to arrest Jesus and the guards get there and they listen to Jesus teach and then they like forget to arrest him. It's amazing. They, they go back in John chapter seven, it says when the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? And they said, we've never heard anyone speak like this. And that had to offend these guys because they were like teachers. This was their job. They're the ones that taught all the time. And these guys are like, no offense, but I mean, he's just different. And you know, it's funny because I'm teaching and speaking is what I do. I, I, it's what I've done for years. My degree is in communications and, and like I've studied this and worked at it. And I've been speaking professionally for 20 years. And, and so I feel comfortable and confident as a communicator, but like, no one's ever forgotten what their job is listening to me speak. 
You know what I mean? Like, I can't even imagine, just as a communicator, I can't imagine that level of mastery that like people listen to you talk and they forget what they do for a living. They're like, oh, what, what, is, what was I here to, what's my job? Oh yeah, oh no. Like that's what happened in that story. Jesus would often speak for hours, for hours. And as he would speak, as the hours would go on, the crowd wouldn't thin out, it would grow. That's different. I mean, we all know that if I go much past 11.10, you guys start to, like, it thins out. It doesn't matter how good of a speaker I am. Like, we start getting toward 30, 45 minutes, and everyone's like, come on, man, wrap it up. We got stuff to do. What would it be like if Jesus was two hours in and all that was doing was creating more and more people coming? That's different. That is, I don't know that. That's new. Jesus was, was so different. Something new was going on with Jesus. Let's look at another example. Matthew chapter 8. It says, suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. That, that is new. Leprosy is an incredibly contagious disease. They had laws in place to keep people from touching lepers because you did not want that to spread. And normally what happens is when a person with leprosy touches a person who does not have leprosy, the person who does not have leprosy gets leprosy. But this man with leprosy touches Jesus, and instead of Jesus getting leprosy, this guy doesn't have leprosy anymore. That's new. No one had ever seen that before. That was different. There's something new with, with this human. One of my favorite stories is through the lens of his own disciples, his closest followers, in Mark chapter four, he's in a boat with them and, and there's a terrible storm and they're all freaking out. They all think they're gonna die. And Jesus is asleep. He is asleep in the boat while this storm is going on. So they wake him up. In Mark chapter four, verse 39, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was great calm. I'll pause right there for a second. Um, Anyone here from the Midwest, any Midwesterners? I'm like a, I'm, I'm, I've lived all over the place, but I was born in Springfield, Missouri, Southern Missouri, right? Tornadoes like crazy. And I, I married a woman from the South. And so every time there is a tornado warning here, my wife is compelled to gather the children and find the safest place in the house. And I am compelled to just go outside and watch. <laughs> like anyone else do that? Anyone else like, yeah, something inside of me is just like, I have to see where this storm is coming from. And I just stand out and she'll come out and be like, Justin. And I'll just be like, babe, it's fine. We have life insurance, it's fine. Like, and I just stand outside like looking at the storm. I'm, something inside of me compels me when, when there's a storm to go watch it. Nothing has ever compelled me in the middle of a storm to say, hey storm, not a good day, okay? I need you to stop. I've got stuff to do. I've never been compelled to do that. I doubt any of you have. Jesus was, that's new, that's different. It says when this happens, Jesus asks them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. That is, is the appropriate question when it comes to Jesus, this new human. Who is this man? 
And as Matt said earlier, even if we want to avoid that question, Jesus sort of gives it to us. He asks, who do you say that I am? We have to ask the question, who is this man? He beckons us to. We have to know who we're dealing with. We have to understand who this, this man that, that we gather together every week in honor of, that we seek to know, that we worship, that we sing about, that we talk about, we've gotta know who he is. When I was in college, 19, 20 years old, I, I got to listen to a really prominent teacher and speaker give this lecture about Jesus. And it was incredible. Every word that this guy said was like just, it was amazing. And he was very different in that when he would finish his lectures, he would invite people to ask questions, especially people who had different opinions and wanted to challenge what he said. And this is at giant public universities. And I'll never forget this because it solidified my faith. My faith was already there, but sometimes we have moments where God solidifies it. It's like concrete that hardens and now it's ready for more. And this guy got up and asked this man this question. He said, sir, how can you sit there and say that Christianity is the only true faith in the world, is the only true religion when A, there are so many other religions and B, there have been so many abusers operating under the umbrella of Christianity. And he referenced the Crusades and, and some other giant scandals from history and rightfully so, those are real things that happen. And I'm sitting there kind of like, oh, that's a tough question. I'm 19, 20 years old. I'm like, what's this guy gonna say? And what he said floored me. He said to this young man very respectfully, he said, I appreciate your question. It's a great question. He said, let me suggest to you that you do not judge a faith based on its abusers. All faiths have been abused. You judge a faith based on its founder. And no faith could claim to have a founder who holds a candle to Jesus Christ. And when I heard that, like I... Politically correct, no. True, yes. There is no one like Jesus. He is different. He is the founder of our faith. And it is vital for us, it is necessary for us to answer that question, who is this man? And so for today and the next four weeks, we're gonna answer that question to the best of our ability. And we're gonna look at it from a variety of different angles. Today, we're gonna to talk about the fact that Jesus is the one. He's the one. Next week, we're gonna look at the fact that Jesus is the word. And if you're like, what does that mean? John chapter one, read it this week. It's, it's interesting. Jesus is the word. After that, it will be Jesus is the way, then Jesus is the truth, and finally, Jesus is the life. That is who this man is. He is the one, he is the word, he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. He is the founder of our faith, and we've got to know who he is. Not just what he did, and not just what he said, because what he did and what he said are amazing, but what he did and what he said, you, you can't fully appreciate the meaning of what he did and what he said unless you recognize who he is. Amen. All right. I will. Okay. Oh. Jesus, Jesus is the one. 
Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus who baptized Jesus himself, was in prison and he sent his disciples to ask Jesus a question. We see this in John chapter 11, verse two. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. The question that John has for Jesus is, are you the one? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the one we've been expecting? One of Jesus' earliest disciples, a man named Philip, ran to find his friend Nathanael. In John chapter one, it says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one. We have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He says, the one that the, the prophets and Moses himself spoke about. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18, God speaks to Moses and says, I will raise up a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell the people everything I command him. And after this, there's many prophets in Israel's history. There's Elijah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Elisha. There's all these incredible prophets, but even after all of their, their lives, the people of Israel were still waiting on the one like Moses. They recognized that, hey, these, these guys were awesome, but they're clearly not the one. And so they were still living in anticipation of this, this one that Moses had talked about. And Philip tells Nathaniel, we found him. It's Jesus of Nazareth. He is the one that Moses and all the other prophets spoke of. There's all these, these things in the Old Testament, like left and right, that point to Jesus. It's actually kind of uncanny. It's unbelievable. And that's why it's been so easy as we've gone through the entire story of the Bible so far this year in the Old Testament, it's been so easy to connect it to Jesus every single Sunday because it's always been about Jesus. It's always been pointing to Jesus. So many things that maybe you've never even realized before are just pictures of Jesus. For example, take the story of Passover. It's the story of, of the people of Israel and their slaves in Egypt. And if you don't know the story, as God rescues them with, with plague after plague, just trying to convince Pharaoh in Egypt to let the people go, the final plague is a plague of death. And God tells his people, here's what I want you to do so that the angel of death passes over your homes. I want you to take some, some blood, blood from a lamb. And I want you to put some of that blood at the top of your doorpost. And I want you to put some blood on each side of your doorpost. And that will be a sign to the angel of death to pass over you and pass you by. And for centuries, the people of Israel did that every Passover. Well, it just so happens that Passover is the same time that Jesus was crucified. It just so happens that Jesus is called the Lamb of God. It just so happens that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which was a city, number one, prophesied related to the Messiah, but also the city where every single year, the lamb that was chosen specifically for the Passover sacrifice was, was chosen out of Bethlehem. The shepherds that came to see the birth of Jesus were very likely the same shepherds who tended the flock that's purpose was to raise up the Passover lamb every single year. And then you think about, you think about blood at the top of a doorpost and on each side, what would happen to blood if you put it at the top of a doorpost? It's gonna drip down. 
And so you'd have these four spots of blood in your doorway, one at the top, one at the bottom, one on each side, the four exact places that Jesus was pierced when he was put on the cross. It literally makes the shape of a cross. There are so many pictures like that all throughout the Old Testament. It's always been about Jesus. And people began to recognize this, that maybe this guy is the one, the one that we've been waiting for, the one that the prophets spoke about. Left and right, it's just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He is the one, and he confirmed that. In John chapter eight, the people are challenging Jesus a little bit, that happened often, and they said, are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And Jesus answered, if I wanna glorify myself, it doesn't count, but it is my father who will glorify me. You say he is our God, but you don't even know him. I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be as great a liar as you are, but I do know him and obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. The people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you've seen Abraham? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. And if you know the connection there, those those words, I am, those those are not just Jesus getting his grammar wrong, right? He didn't say I was. I am, it's the name of God. Yahweh, it means the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. And Jesus says, hey, before Abraham, I am. This was blasphemy to the people's ears. They picked up stones to try to kill Jesus for saying such a thing, but it didn't work because that is who Jesus is. This, think about it. This is what Jesus is saying. That name, I am, that was given first to Moses when, when God spoke to Moses through the burning bush. Moses says to this bush, speaking to him, sending him out to to let the people of Israel go to free them from Pharaoh. And Moses says, who should I say sent me? And the voice from the bush says, say, I am sent you. And this is like Jesus telling these people, hey, you've been wondering if I'm the one that Moses spoke about. I'm the one who sent Moses out. That's me. That's crazy what Jesus is saying. Like that's who he is. He is He's the one. He's the one, and he's the one for every single one of us. Like, he is the one for your life. He is the one who has the answers. He is the one who can lead you. He is the one who can speak truth in your life like no one else can. He is the one who can tell you who you really are. We have this epidemic in our culture right now of people just doing crazy things and in this desperate attempt to figure out who they are. Well, look, the way you figure out who you are is you go to the one who made you. Jesus knows who you are. He knows you because he's the one. And he's the one who loves you. He is the friend of sinners. He is the one who loves you. He's the one who came for you. He's the one who died for you. What other founder of a faith can say that? None. He doesn't make demands of you. He gives himself to you. He is the one who is the foundation for your life. He said, anyone who listens to my words and does what I says, Matthew chapter seven, anyone who does this is like a wise person who builds their house on bedrock and when storms come, it will still be standing because it's built on me. He's the foundation for your life. He's the one. He is the one you need. He's the one you have if you want him. 
This question that all these people come and ask Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you, are you him? Yes. More than we could even realize, it's always been about Jesus. Always. I mentioned all these prophecies, all these pictures in the Old Testament. You ever, you ever read stories in the Bible and you're just like, that was weird. Like, don't know what to think about that. Turn the page, you know? Some of you, maybe you stop and you, and you really wanna savor it. If you're like me and it's just like weird, just next page. All right, here we go. There's this really weird story during the life of Moses where all the people are living in the wilderness. They've escaped from Egypt, but they're not yet in the promised land. And like their whole camp is just invaded by poisonous snakes. And they get bit and people are dying. And so Moses does something that's just, it's just the most odd thing. He builds this bronze snake, this sculpture. And he, he puts it on a pole, which by the way, if you've ever seen an ambulance, you ever wonder why there's like a snake going around a pole on the side of an ambulance? It comes from this exact moment. That's the origins of, of that. So there you go, a little nugget of knowledge. And, and he, he puts this pole up for everyone to look at. And he says, hey, this is what God says. If you will look at this pole after you've been bitten by a snake, look at this pole, look at this bronze snake, look at it with faith and you'll be healed. All right. And for me, it's not even like the supernatural part of that. I'm totally okay with the supernatural God who does supernatural things. Like that happens. It's that like not long before this, they made a golden calf and God got super mad. And I just feel like a bronze snake is not that different than a golden calf. Like it's you know, less valuable metal, but also it's a snake. It's weird, right? It's just one of those stories that you read in the Old Testament, you turn the page and go, that was a weird time. Jesus in John chapter three is talking to a man named Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And I'm sure that Nicodemus, who was already, if you read John chapter three, Nicodemus from the beginning of this conversation is like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like it's just going over his head. And I imagine at that point, he was just like, what are you talking about? But you know, we know historically that Nicodemus was at the crucifixion of Jesus because Nicodemus helped wrap Jesus's body in linen to put him in his tomb. And I wonder if Nicodemus looked at Jesus on that cross. And I wonder if in that moment it hit him, oh, that's what he was talking about. And that's what Moses was pointing us to this one that's been lifted up and everyone who looks at him, everyone who puts their faith in him will be healed. He is your healer. He is the only one, by the way, who can heal your soul. You know, when, when our bodies need healed, we have options. One of those options is God. God heals people, he does. We, were, we had a, a whole group of people praying for someone this morning in our prayer room early for healing. God heals your bodies, but th there's other options. Right? Doctors can heal. Medicine can heal. Sometimes time can heal. You know, I'm, I'm 40 now. I get out of bed and I just hurt for no reason. <clears throat> like my first steps in the morning. Anyone else do this? Like this is how you, why? What has happened? And it just takes a few hours and I finally like by 9 a.m. I'm like, all right, I can walk now. You know, it just need, I need time. Got to warm up. <laughs> do you know how many options you have to heal your soul? To heal your spirit? One. 
It's just Jesus. He is the only one worthy. He is the only one who is holy. He is the only one. It's just Jesus. It's just him. He's the one. So let me, let me wrap up with this. What do you do when you find the one? You know, the closest thing I can think of is, is when it comes to romance, right? You find the one. I found my one in high school. My wife is my high school sweetheart. We've been together since I was 18 and she was 17. And, um, and you know, I fell like hard and fast for Megan. I told her I loved her three weeks in. And some of you know this, but her response, she said, thank you. And I told her, she, <laughs> it took her a while. I had to wear her down, you know? But no, no, I, I will say this. I'm not just saying this like to be sappy. I don't even know if she's in the room right now. But I love that woman. And, and I knew it. Like I knew it. She's the one. And I had a lot of people tell me, you're crazy, you're too young. I was going to college a thousand miles away. I had people say like, there's gonna be girls there. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> They're not Megan. They're not Megan. And so what, it, what do you do when you find the one? You stop searching. And you don't settle for anyone else. Like once I found Megan romantically, I didn't want someone like Megan. I didn't want someone who reminded me of Megan. I wanted Megan. And I wasn't gonna settle for less. And so everything in my life became about just being married to her. And, and whatever it took to convince her dad to, to let her marry me while I was still a college student. Like that was, that was my focus. That was my passion. That meant money. That meant when I waited tables at Chili's, I told every table that I had recently bought an engagement ring because I wanted those wives to knock their husbands underneath the table and be like, give him more money. Like I needed that. I made sure every table knew, you know? I did, I would go to tables and I'd be pouring their drinks. Like, oh, how's your summer going? Mine's great, I just bought an engagement ring from a wife trying to get married really soon. Boy, it's expensive. And I like go off and, you know. Because I had the one. And when you find the one, you stop searching and you settle for nothing less. That is the very thing we've got to do with Jesus. He is the one for your life. He's the one that you need. He is your guide. He is your hope. He is your strength. He is your fortress. He is everything you need and then some. So stop searching for anything else because all of it is just less than him. He's the one. Maybe right now you're going through something in your life and it's hard and, and sometimes when life's hard and crazy, we are, we're tempted to put our trust in lesser things. We're tempted to, to find someone else something else, but you don't need to. You don't need to search. You have found Jesus, or maybe you could say he has found you, and he loves you, and he's real, and he's powerful. He is the one that Moses and the prophets and all of scripture foretold. In fact, Jesus once said this, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. The scriptures point to me. That's who he is. And so what we've gotta do, I'm good. We've just gotta, we've gotta put our trust in him. We've gotta stop searching and settling. And we've gotta, with laser focus, just say, I believe, Jesus, you are the one. And you're not just the one for the Jewish people in the first century, you're the one for me right now. And all my hope is on you. And, and maybe you're here and you've done that and awesome. 
Keep it up. Keep doing it. Like, it's like my wife. I, I, I love her. She's the one. She's the one today. And she's going to be the one tomorrow when I wake up. And Jesus is like that, but to a degree that we can't even imagine. So just never stop keeping your eyes on him and putting your trust in him and do not be distracted by lesser things. But if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, this is what he says to you. Matthew chapter 11. This is Jesus speaking to you. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Come to Jesus, give your life to him. Pray, receive him in your life, sign up, be baptized. We've got someone who's about to get baptized here in just a second, that's how we're gonna wrap up this morning, it's awesome, but that's meant for you. He is the one you've been waiting for, he is the one you've been looking for and he is the only one who can heal your soul. He is the only one who can give true rest for your soul. And he belongs to you if you want him. I want to wrap up with this as the worship team comes. You know, I, I said uh, a little earlier that when I was in college, I heard this guy teach. And what he said floored me, right? He said, you don't judge a faith based on its abusers. You judge a faith based on its founder. And no faith can claim to have a founder greater than Jesus. And that, I have, I have thought through those words thousands of times in the last 20 years. And I've even compared, I've even like researched the different founders of the different faiths. And it's like Jesus versus that guy, pff, no contest. Like there's not even a close second. I'm just being honest. It's not confirmation bias. This is objective as can be. Like there's no one like Jesus. That man went on for years and years to become more and more prominent, more and more well-known, became one of the most famous Christian speakers and teachers in the entire world. And then he passed away and he passed away with like honor. Like every person, that guy's funeral and, and all the wishes coming in were like a who's who of, of known people in the faith. And it was just like, man, to live a life like this guy, wow. Then about a year after he passed, all these stories started coming out. Really shocking stories, really scandalous stories. Heartbreaking stories. That if true, meant that he was an abuser of the faith. That he was actually someone who used his position in the church to do evil things. And at first I was like, there's no way. Like, not this guy, not this guy. Like there's other pastors I see sometimes on TV and I'm like, that's eh, probably that guy, you know? Um, I'm teasing, sort of. But this guy was just, no, there's no way. There's no way this guy was like, and it, it, he was the one that said the thing that solidified my faith. I need him to be a good one. But as more came out, even his own organization, which no longer exists really, like confirmed, yeah, this apparently is true and we don't know what to say other than we're sorry, we should have had better eyes on this. There should have been more accountability. It, it, we don't know what happened, but this, it was like as hypocritical and wrong as you could imagine. And I remember being like, no, I had a mini crisis because he's the one that said the thing. 
You ever have a 35 second crisis? Sometimes those are the worst ones. That's what it was. It was a 35 second crisis of like, what does this mean? That's the guy that said the thing that when I was in college, like it solidified my faith. And I've quoted him like so many times. I said that to so many people. And then 35 seconds later, it was like, your faith is not based on an abuser. Your faith is based on the founder. And so in a strange way, it was like, that just made what he said even more powerful. Does that make sense? Because my faith was not in that man and my faith wasn't in what he said. My faith is in Jesus Christ. And you know, if you know his story, they tried to put some scandals on Jesus. It did not work. That's why they killed him. At first, they just tried to dismiss him, to discredit him. They said he was demon possessed. They said that, you're demon possessed. You can perform miracles. You can cast out Satan because you work with Satan. And Jesus said, that is dumb. Paraphrase. (laughs) He said, how can Satan cast out Satan? Like that's the house divided cannot stand. And people are like, well, shut up. And then they walk again, paraphrase. (laughs) There's a lot of those moments with Jesus. You know, they they tried to say that Jesus was a, a, a glutton and a drunkard because he drank wine and had fun. He would, people would invite him to dinner and Jesus was there and he was fun. And it was like the religious people were so religious, so stuck up that they're like, you can't be the Messiah. You're having too much fun, right? The Messiah would be a miserable person, clearly like us, you know? They tried to pin that on Jesus and it just didn't, it was just, they tried so hard to disprove the miracles that he did to try to prove that he was some type of trickster or charlatan didn't work because the people like it, you can try to convince a group of people that they didn't see what they saw, but try to convince a blind man who's been blind his whole life that his, his eyes really don't work or that he really wasn't blind. It doesn't work, right? Jesus, he's the real deal. That man and many others were like, look, I don't know what you're talking about, but I know this. I was blind. Now I see, explain that. And they were like, get out like that. That's what they did. In some ways, it's, it's kind of perfect that the person who shared the thing that solidified my faith would be someone who fell so short because the point that they made that solidified my faith is that my faith is in the founder and who he is. And 2,000 years in, you can try to discredit him. You can try to dismiss him. You can try to do whatever you wanna do with him and he will not go away because he is alive, because he is God, and there is no one like him. And today, we put our trust in him. He is the one, he is the only one, and he's our only one. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son. Jesus, you are the one. You are the one that the prophets spoke of. You are the one that that was foretold time and time again in your scriptures. And Jesus, you are the one that we need. We need you, Jesus. We need every single one of us, we need you. We need your strength, we need your spirit, we need your truth, we need your love, we need your presence. We need you, Lord. Lord, I just pray that we would all receive you today, wholeheartedly either for the first time or that we would just be reminded to to put our trust in none other. There's There's no one else that we need to put our trust in. There is no candidate. 
There is no figurehead. There is no government. There is no one, just you. You're the only one. We love you. It's your name that we pray. Amen.